to another episode of Between Us and Y'all. I'm Yasmin. I'm Nafis. And this is Between Us and Y'all, a podcast created for mothers and their young adult sons to have healthy conversations and have a safe space to do so. We have some guests with us today that we're going to be introducing shortly. Um, and they are also going to be sharing with us, as we normally do for every episode, some information on a local business. So, our guests... Hey, <laughs> we're excited to be here with you guys. My name is Adaro Prescott. I am his mom <laughs> and I also have two other children, um, Niara and Zion, and they are, what, 14 and 11, and I'm married and we live in Atlanta, Georgia, out in the suburbs, and <laughs> I'm actually working part-time with Quilombo Academic and Cultural Institute as a virtual assistant. Hey everybody, um, I'm Nadir and I'm 21, a Preston College student, her son, <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, I'm a senior, a rising senior in Preston, at Preston College in Arizona, and uh, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I love to make music and I'm studying regenerative ecological design. Wow, I love that. Oh, and I forgot to mention I'm from Philly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You have a business that you were going to share some information with us about? Yes. Um, okay. So it's a youth entrepreneurship group and known as the Inzuri Drummers. And they were started here in Atlanta, Georgia by a dynamic duo of best friends, Zion Harris and Kayem Ubaka uh, Blackmore. And they were students at Quilombo Academic and Cultural Institute. They started the business in 2016 as a way to share what they had learned from drumming classes at Quilombo. And it grew into a thriving business. And now they are five drummers strong. And occasionally they have um, African dancers from some of the grads, some of the grads and some of the current students at Quilombo. And to book with them, you just go to their website, which is www the Inzuri Drummers, that's in like Nancy, Z-U-R-I, drummers.com, and also known as The Inzuri Drummers on Instagram. And they also have merchandise. Okay. This is one of the mama shirts because my daughter dances with them. I love that. <laughs> but they have all kinds of t-shirts and different paraphernalia on their website. So check them out. Wow, thank you for sharing. Um, the school that she mentioned for our listeners, Quilombo Academic and Culture Institute, is actually the school that both these young men graduated from in middle school. You know, So we give big ups to Quilombo all the time for the foundation that they're laying for our community You know, and our community family. And um, we also wanted to just add a little bit as far as what we know about Adaro, Mama Adaro and Nadir. We've been friends for maybe over about five or six years. Well, maybe a little longer than that. But yeah, maybe a little longer. Yeah, maybe six, seven. I think six. I think you're right. Seven, seven years. Yeah, we've been friends for a long time, you know, and we've both, you know, been working hard to raise young men and, you know, put them in schools that were really good and make sure that they remain connected. And we're grateful that they're still friends, you know, to this day. We look to you for an example, Mama Darrow and Nadir, you know, for you know, a great mom and son duo, you know, so we want to thank you both for being here and thank you for being my son's friend, you know, so that I know if he ever needs an example of somebody who's paving the way for college or whatever, he has an example that he can look to in you and that dear. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, so our, our topic today, we're continuing a conversation that we started on the topic of international relations 
and um, today we're going to be focusing specifically on maintaining your identity with interracial relationships and the impact of international travel. Oftentimes, you know, when we're having young conversations with our young men or our young women who are going off to school, who are coming from traditional African-centered backgrounds, we're not having conversations about how to prepare yourself to deal with the regular world, you know? And right. When people are just interacting with other people, they're having a hard time navigating, you know? And we need to be able to hold our foundation wherever we go, but we also need to be able to interact on a regular basis, network and, you know, invite whoever into our network that we like, but also be able to maintain our identity while we're doing that. So that's the purpose of our conversation today. And so our listeners, as we normally do with every time we have guests, we like to start with our standard question. And this has to do with our family motto. So our family motto is to work hard, pray hard, love hard, and play hard. Do you all have a family motto? And if so, what is it? So, okay. <laughs> when Nadir went through rights, we were actually asked to come up with like a family motto or something or like a family code. And so we briefly developed something. And when you asked the question, I was like, oh, wait, we haven't even been like, really utilizing it. But we do have it and it still stands for us. When I was talking to Nadir about it earlier, like, oh, this does stand for our family. So it's actually a really good one. And it's a quote from Maya Angelou. Um, if you get, give. And if you learn, teach. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so, did you want to elaborate on it? or? Um. Well, when I heard it this morning, I was reminded of it because I, I completely forgot that that um, was even a part of rights and everything, to be honest. But um, it makes sense to me because I think we always talk about like each one teach one and just uh, keeping the culture going and uh, making sure that everybody's involved and that we leave nobody behind all these like principles. And she says it in those few words really well. And um, I think our family does that really well. We're all really generous with each other and also making sure that <laughs> even though communication could always be a, a trouble, something in families, um, we don't leave each other behind and we make sure that everybody has the opportunity to rise above where in the areas that we need to and together as a family instead of just one person advancing. Right, right. Totally agree. Well, I love that. And for our listeners, first, thank you for sharing with us that amazing model. We really like that. And it's something that if you don't have a model, listeners, it's something you can adapt if you'd like to take the um, model from this family because I really like it. And for the people that were listening, if you heard Nadir or his mom say that he went through a rights program, this is something that community members do sometimes to prepare their young men or young women you know, through a rites of passage program. So that's what he's referring to. And we won't go into details about what happened at the rites program, but it's something to prepare him, you know, to, to navigate his life, you know, into adulthood. And it, I, think, I think it paid off very well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so for our next question, um, I know that Nadir, you've gone off to school, you know, you've been a your rising senior, you know, and uh, Daryl, I'm sure you work with different people every day, just like we all do. So how important is it to you to maintain your identity when engaging in interracial relationships? <laughs> well, I, I definitely, that was um, a huge concern for us when we when he chose the school that he wanted to attend. Um, of course, you know, he's out in Prescott, Arizona, and he's an extreme minority being out there. <laughs> I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's pretty low. 
Oh. Well, right. So there, there are a lot of Caucasians. He's he's in the minority when it comes to race, okay. and you know, and so coming from the environment that where he lives in Atlanta, you know, it, that could have been detrimental for him for a college experience. And so we definitely were concerned before he left to go off to school and we discussed it. We didn't discuss it heavily. It was a brief discussion just to check in with him to see if he was concerned about it at all. And, you know, making sure that he didn't lose all the things that we have been instilling in him throughout the years. And we do regular check-ins from freshman year up to now going into his senior year you know, how's he feeling? What are, what are some things that are happening with interaction in school with your peers? Different things like that. Um, and he's been able to, and I'll let him elaborate on that, but he's been able to really build a circle of great friendships out there in Prescott on his own, all on his own and staying open and keeping his community tight-knit here in Atlanta in conversation as, you know, as well as with myself and my husband, Dale. Yeah, that's what's up. Adair? You want to <laughs> um, so when I when I was thinking about Arizona, it wasn't really I was really focusing on the environment, and um, that was probably one of the most important things to me about selecting a, a college and being on the West Coast and seeing just uh, environments I'd never seen before in Atlanta or in the South. Uh, was also like very exciting to me and it didn't even really occur to me that the ethnicity or the diversity of ethnicity would uh, be drastically different and so even when we landed in Phoenix I was like where did I choose to go to school because <laughs> it was straight up desert it was super hot and I didn't see any grass any green and I was like whoa like I don't know if I made the right decision <laughs> um, <laughs> and as the years have gone by, uh, the most challenging things have been the communicating across um, across races, across ethnicities, and uh, just trying to get used to different how different communities of people uh, communicate with each other, and how I can communicate with those people um, in the best way possible. And at first, I was really afraid that my ideas about like the world and everything and what I've been taught and what I believe myself was not going to be compatible and I wasn't even going to make wasn't going to be able to make uh, really great relationships with people but um, as soon as I started trusting myself to just uh, be authentic and be able to share what I think and all these things um, those people that I could vibe with definitely came um, and it gave me a, a great lesson in terms of don't try to bring prejudice or what we think about another group of people to every relationship and make sure that um, that filter is on, but not like blocking the the possibilities. Wow, I love that. I love that response. Um, the thing is, you know, coming from African-centered communities, oftentimes, you know, we're preparing our children to love how Black they are and love their Blackness or love their, their culture and all those types of things. But we're not having conversations about how to help, how to have healthy relationships with people that don't look like you, you know? And so oftentimes what happens is when our children leave the community, they are not prepared, you know, and they're not prepared to hold on to what they've learned and to see that as something that they can still be proud of in a group that doesn't look like them because they've never learned to, you know, have an equal exchange. 
And I remember when you went to academe, you know, I intentionally put Nafis in a school in high school, you know, after coming from Quilombo, all black, pro-black, everything in that way, to a school that was full of children from all over the world, you know, because I wanted him to be able to, to practice early on to see what is, does any of the stuff that you say you believe really stand true? You know, is this foundation a real thing that you can hold? when you're not amongst people who look like you. Because it's easy to say, you know, I'm, I believe in all this and I love all this when everybody looks like you and everybody's right. the same thing, you know, but then you start to be able to network and, and see, you know, how does this work when I'm in a larger group? You know, how does it turn into something that's a networking tool as opposed to just something that makes me feel good in the moment? So it sounds like, Nadir, that you are paving the way again where you're kind of showing, you know, what does it look like? And, you know, for those people that are coming behind you, you and Nafis from Quilombo or whatever schools, you know, or even our listeners from throughout the, the country who are coming from, you know, isolated kind of smaller, you know, environments and they're preparing for a larger environment and how to maintain your identity in that way. So, next The next question is, yes, what, does, what does maintaining your identity look like when you're interacting with other African what does that look like? Like for the listeners who don't know, you know, and are not African, what does it look like for you when we're interacting with each other? Like if you had to describe that in just a few words, what would that be? What would you say? I think um, something that was important to me is like bringing, uh, yeah, like re, I don't know what the word is, but I guess re putting myself inside of the, the spaces to celebrate my African culture or the heritage and things. Because um, one thing that we did was a graduate student was working with um, the Black Student Union at Preston College to create this festival called the Black Arts Festival. And it was for her thesis project. And um, she asked me, do I have any speakers or anything that I wanted to bring? And I thought of um, one of the co-founders uh, of my high school, uh, Mama Fia Mazimoyo um, at I Educational Institute. And she, decided that she would want to come and we paid for her to come and it was a it was a wonderful time but being able to bring her and like share uh, African culture with African people that are that live in Prescott in Prescott Arizona and um, the black students that go to Prescott College that was a powerful opportunity for all of us to share in our culture and make sure that we keep it there and um, there was also other races of people that came to that festival and they were able to uh, explore and understand our culture from our perspective and not really get the steeped European view of African culture that we often get in um, academia. And um, I think when, like one of the challenges in BSU was me having like an Afri African-centered education and other black people that were in BSU not having that perspective. And we had, after the Black Arts Festival, someone was really frustrated because he felt as if um <laughs> okay let me without getting into details he was just mad and he was trying to express that and he was yelling at everybody and i was trying to be uh calm a in between force of like <laughs> helping everybody to express themselves without hurting each other in a very intense way and um, breaking up the group and um i don't know if it was completely successful but those those type of things being able to share 
our culture and make sure that we change the ways that we we've been taught to hurt each other in in subtle ways uh redoing that i don't know if that makes sense but no i think perfect sense. <laughs> yeah i think my experience coming from philadelphia and in the inner city all black community um and then i guess observing my mother when she was working at the fire department and hearing how she would communicate with people on the customer service level um, and dealing with all types of races, whether she was dealing with black people, Asian, white, no matter who she was speaking with, in a professional arena, she changed her voice, the tone of her voice, how she spoke, whether she was articulate, you know, and my sister and I would call it the, my mother's name is Shahida, so my sister and I would call it the Shahida voice. <laughs> and so we picked up on it. So when we started working professionally in corporate America, we did the same thing because we felt like it was a better way to communicate across the board with all types of people if you want to communicate communicate clearly, right? And of course, when we're hanging out with our friends, we don't we didn't speak that way. <laughs> but I think I didn't I never really looked at it as this is only how I'm gonna communicate with non-African or African-American or black people. It was more of if I'm in a professional environment, I'm going to communicate this way, regardless of where I am. Like right now, if I'm at Quilombo and I'm working with them, I'm going to speak a, you know, a certain way when I'm communicating with them. But then when I'm off the clock, I'm communicating with them like they're they're my friends, they're my homies, <laughs> you know? And so for me, it was example, never- an example of that voice. I think we need to hear the professional voice. <laughs> you need to- <laughs> Hi, this is Adaro. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it gets doors open. So <laughs> that's real, though. The thing, yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you were talking. You know, I started to think about um, my identity amongst African people. You know, it's interesting because as a Muslim, there's a whole different arena when it comes to being a Black Muslim. You know what I mean? And a black Muslim who subscribes to being an, an African, you know what I mean? There's black people who, maybe that guy in the BSU that you talked about, my dear, some people don't identify as being African people, you know, they just think they have black skin and they don't know. In my mind, I just imagine they just think they just arrived somewhere. They don't think that it came somewhere. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for sure. The thing is, it's like, you know, I identify as an African person, so I have many African-American Muslim friends who see my way of living as, you know, forbidden basically. Where, you know, and so my way of maintaining my identity is to just be very consistent and to also be very transparent with what I believe, you know, and how that won't change based on somebody else's, you know, views because it's who I am. Right. And I totally agree with that because you're gonna get the same person when I'm communicating with you, like I'm gonna be authentic, you may just get a different tone of voice right. and <laughs> different words. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm gonna be at the character of it, I'm gonna be the same person. Yeah. yeah. After a while, people will learn to appreciate that because the professionalism is why you have been hired, you know, and to do the job. And they can also believe that they can trust you because you're a friend who's consistent also at the end of the Absolutely. day. Absolutely. How about you? Um, I think in terms of maintaining identity with African people. With African people. Kinda all the lines when I was saying basically like I feel like sometimes it's a challenge, you know, coming from a conscious community and like going to HBCU and it's like sometimes I feel like it's challenging to have certain conversations because the mass majority there, you know, wasn't raised up, you know, in a conscious community. 
So you know, in regards to talking about history or just talking about anything, sometimes I feel like, oh, I gotta take a step back because you know, you know, they, they might not understand what I'm talking about, or they might oh, right. or believe me. So I definitely <laughs> right, right. So have to, you know, have to figure out to put it in a more um, understandable way and not, you know, not shying away from like, oh, this is not, you know, yeah, I'm not trying to say like, oh, I'm since this. Is, what I believe I'm not going to tell anybody I'm just going to keep it to myself more so putting it in a way so it's like you know what what you're saying is not wrong but I feel like you should look at it this way different perspective a different perspective you know but you know it's always good to have open conversations and not telling somebody you're wrong you know <laughs> right true, true. right yeah so you had a second part to your question um and the second part of the question is what and what does it look like to what does it look like with an inter- interracial Relationship. Maintaining your identity in interracial relationships. What does that actually look like, like practically? <laughs> I think. Uh, okay, I think my first uh, approach to it was a lot of hiding it and not really, not really like hiding in terms of, um, oh my god, I can't let them know this part of me, but just that it doesn't. Like Nafis was just saying, like taking a step back and not necessarily saying something when it's needed to be said but all that did for me was really build up a lot of emotional responses inside of me without really being able to um to express them by myself and so then I started addressing it and like something just recently happened where one of my professors well one of my past professors she was holding up the Rastafarian symbol that you do with your hands and one of my Mexican yeah, yeah exactly that symbol and um I learned about that while I was traveling in Cuba and that was the first time I heard about that and um and I was like oh wow okay and then one of my Mexican friends he sent that picture to me he was like she throwing up gang signs and I'm like that's not a gang sign <laughs> <laughs> and I had to educate him. And the previous me would have probably been like, you know, it doesn't even matter. Like, he, he might not even meet me a Rasta person. <laughs> you know, like, just let it blow over. But I had to because I, I feel like it is a part of, it, even though I'm not Rastafarian, it is not, I don't want somebody to misinterpret that. And it's also about, like, caring about the, the relationship that I do have and not um, just trying to brush over things. Uh, because they do, they affect how I feel about the relationship. And I think that it'll make us both conscious and aware of each other more if we are able to have like clear conversations about things that make us uncomfortable or just understanding each other's cultures better. And um, that that deepens the relationship more than it makes it uh, uncomfortable, I think. Yeah, I think for me, I'm actually learning through Nadira. Even wanting to be brave enough to have interracial friendships and relationships, you know, because I've had one and it didn't go so well. And after that, I was kind of like, I'm good. You know, (laughs) all of my other interracial relationships have been professional ones at work. And that's where they stayed. They may have known that I was married and had children, but that was about as much that I would allow them to know about me. And I think for me, it's just about breaking down barriers for myself as far as walls that I've built up throughout the years from learning information. I mean, history teaches us how people behave. And, you know, one of the previous points that Nadir made about 
basically just allowing people to one-on-one basis show you who they are and not prejudge just based on someone's race you know and so it's a process for me you know it really is it's a process and so I'm if I'm given the opportunity I I may (laughs) you know work on that have some friendships that are non-African American non-African or not not. exactly what you say you say what we're not. If it doesn't we're happen. not. We're not. I'm not gonna force it. <laughs> um, kind of to go off what they said, like I think I really experienced uh, those type of conversations in high school, kind of like what you said up here along the lines of you know, like how maybe Rastafarians may you know do a thing, do a thing, and then like, people may misinterpret it. I think I really experienced that in high school, where I would be going to school with people across the world. And they would like ask me questions about, you know, black culture. And it's, I know for me, it's, well, well, I know it's not coming off as, you know, being racist or being, um, you know, just being mean. It's just more so of understanding. So it's like, you know, yeah, like, oh, I know that, you know, I've seen this on the internet and you guys may do this, but I want to know if that's really true. And I was like, you know, I can give my real answer. So it's not, you know, sometimes I might get a little, a little mad because it might be in the moment, but I know, you know, it's coming from a place of curiosity. And not just you know, just trying to hurt someone's feeling about Right. For me, that that thing of when I'm maintaining my identity amongst you know with interracial conversations, coming from California is where I was born and raised. You know, so I had to do two culture you know changes coming from there and then coming to Atlanta, where before all my best friends growing up were Hawaiian, you know, or from Cambodia. You know what I mean? Or okay. Mexican because that was my neighborhood you know in San Francisco California then moving to Oakland there's Mexicans and Asians and blacks you know so when I came here and all my friend choices were only black it was like different you know what I mean (laughs) I'm used to different stuff different foods different conversations and things like that but one of the things that I've learned being in Atlanta is when I'm having conversations or interacting with anyone that's outside of my race I refuse to be the representative of all black people. <laughs> I'm not the representative of all black people. And that's the first thing I always make sure people know that I cannot answer all questions for black people. You know, I can answer the questions for me and my family, you know, my history, what I've been through. But this is not reflective of every single black person you'll ever meet. That's so it's fair for you to think, this is Yasmin like burritos, you know, what a little. <laughs> a Daryl's don't like the same thing. Like, it's just not. Right, right. So I try to make sure that that's one of the things. And then I find myself being a little guarded, you know what I mean, when I'm in the workspace or the corporate world with um, interracial relationships, if it's somebody who's trying to get close to me because of our current society and what we're dealing with with race, it's something, you know what I mean? So oftentimes I won't pretend that I'm gonna be, you know, hunky-dory and hanging out, we can be cool and all of that. Cause I don't know if I can trust you, you know? Just, <laughs> That's like Ahmad, you know, Aubrey, who just was murdered, you know, in February. Exactly. Could not trust his neighbors. He mm-hmm. runs the neighborhood and all of a sudden somebody thinks that he's a threat. So for me, I, I have to think about those types of things because the reality is, is that might be the case that yeah. I'm working with and I thought I could trust may not really like me, honestly, you know. So I try to keep it balanced where I'm not an angry person walking around. I do my job, but at the same time, at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I have to be on guard in a sense about some things with when it comes to race, because we live in the South and we live in a place that is racially charged when it comes to things that I may not be aware of. So, right. 
But when it comes to family, it's African first. It's going to be my family, and I don't, you know, I'm unapologetically black in that way. And I love my race. It's not a thing that has to do with being defensive or anything like that. It's just something I'm very proud of. So absolutely. But last question, I want to know about you all's conversation when you're having conversations. How do you approach a conversation regarding maintaining identity? when you're engaging in interracial relationships with people who are not of the same race? Like, what advice do you give to each other? Because you've talked about when you're doing it on your own, but when you're talking to each other, at Daryl, what type of stuff did you tell Nadir, you know, when you were like, well, you got this teacher who's white and, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Real talk. Yeah. <laughs> and we I mean, parents are not having those conversations in our children. No, they're not. They're not. Yeah, this this is a great question because it has definitely come up, um, you know, with different challenges when it comes to just communication. Uh, and so I don't necessarily tell Nadir what to say or what to do. It's more of me listening to him and then giving him the space to kind of work it out as we're talking through whatever the challenge may be. And then as we're discussing it, he's coming up with, resolutions he's coming up with oh well maybe i could try this one or i might say to him try this one you know like have you considered you know the position because i what i try to do is to remove the race when it comes to his communication with his professors specifically and depending on what the the challenge is i'll just ask him you know well what were what led up to that point what led up to this moment and just try to break it down and not so that he doesn't take it on as a personal attack, right? Um, so that's that's typically how the conversations end up with a really good resolution. And then he's able to go back and apply whatever we've discussed. And from what I remember, it usually works out because he's able to then, you know, build his confidence and go back and address whatever the issue may be or, you know, come back with a, a different solution that he can work out with his professors and right yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that's what i've observed and it's it's been good as far as i know of. yeah i can tell you okay this is not a professor but one time i don't know i don't know Which, well we didn't talk about <laughs> screenings the story yeah. but um <laughs> Uh, one of my friends, she was like coming over to just say goodbye because she was moving and she was talking about a mutual friend of ours and how they they were just like talking to each other and all of a sudden, you remember this story, like she felt as if, and she, the friend that came over to my house, she's black too, and she um, felt as if she needed to say that my other friend who was not black that uh she felt that she was an energy draining person and like that it was not a healthy relationship for any of us to have with her and i didn't know what that was about like i didn't know if it was a race thing or you know and i didn't have no problem i just i didn't know how to handle it and so what i said was just okay in the moment and we said our goodbyes and things and then i called mom afterwards and i was just talking to her about uh, all the things that i brought up and mainly it was just like a major fear because i didn't know if my friend wanted me to side with her um, and this is something that also I see on social media a lot, and I don't know if this is going on a tangent, but um, just, <laughs> but just people, and I think this is a dynamic that needs to be talked about more, but just 
black people uh how we communicate with each other on social media and when other races enter the conversation how um how we involve them in the conversation because when i was talking to my mom it brought up a lot of fear that conversation i had with my black friend brought up a lot of fear in terms of like what she wanted expected of me does she want me to call up the other person and be like uh you need to get your stuff together i don't know like to check her or anything else like what was my expectation here and should i like have to step in as a certain role as a black man or just as her friend or anything and um what ended up happening is like they resolved it on their own because that's really what we came up with in our conversation which is that's between them and then what my relationship is with uh our mutual friend that's between me and that person and uh what i decide to do with that person is my business and vice versa so yeah <laughs> you're maintaining your identity with an interracial relationship all right so so our situation is a little unique you know with this i'll speak for myself first and then i'll speak as a parent you know um so at work it can be a little bit strange you know because i work in a predominantly black you know um corporate environment where there are a few people from the other races you know but the thing that's interesting sometimes is that you know i find what you said not here the whole thing about should i be siding with this person happened a lot because um one one interesting thing that happened um last year during ramadan is i found out there were all these secret muslims at my job you know that hadn't told anybody they were muslim you know for some reason they were hiding you know their their religion and it it was intentional that they didn't want anybody to know you know what i mean I, I had came and I'm like we don't have they have all these holidays we got to celebrate St. Patrick's Day and decorations for Valentine's Day whatever the holiday is stuff I never heard of really <laughs> of rugby day or something like that I never heard of that stuff <laughs> there's all these holidays and decorations but I just asked the question one time well, what about Ramadan you know there's I've never seen you all have decorations up for the Muslims and they were like well there are no Muslims here and I'm like what do you mean I'm sure there's Muslims here And then it turns out there were like 15 people, you know, and all. Wow. Whoa. But then when I made that announcement, I found it really strange that then they wanted to outwardly show that we're Muslim and we're strong and now you guys have to give us all these things. You know, so <laughs> I never asked for any of that stuff. You know, I just wanted some decorations. I didn't see you know, <laughs> it was really strange for me because I found myself feeling like I had become a spokesman. For something for these people who were now saying now you have to advocate for our extraness when it didn't reflect at all what I wanted you know so that's the religion part then as a parent it's been really strange you know being a parent of somebody who's at an HBCU you know I, I went to an HBCU myself Tuskegee University and Nafis went to he goes to Alabama A&M and I'm finding that although it's a predominantly black college there are not new African students that are there you know and so in a sense it's almost like another race that he's interacting with, you know? because there's many people who have no idea about what we're talking about you know we come to school and I'm wanting to invite his friends with us to come to lunch and I'm asking them about you know community life or you know I'm asking them about how do you pray you know what what do you do to, for your ancestors little questions like that and they're looking at me like <laughs> like what is she talking about <laughs> strange you know so sometimes it can be a little bit strange but what I try to do is just be my consistent self and offer a little bit of an explanation without being too overbearing so 
instead of saying, you know, what did you do for your ancestors last night? I asked them, you know, what do you think of the idea of, you know, showing respect for your ancestors or the people that have died in your family? Do you ever pray for your grandmother? You know, do you pray for that aunt that you love so much? And if you do, what does that look like? You know, mm. and that ends up opening a conversation with them to where they can feel like it's not like blue or, you know, I'm <laughs> in Atlanta, but I'm actually right, right. <laughs> working there are people in their family. I like that. Them? That's a good approach. I like that. Um, I guess the conversation that we always had is just kind of always have an open mind. Okay. And, you know, don't always think that, like, kind of the point I was touching earlier, just know that sometimes people are just really asking out of curiosity, and sometimes how the question may come off as negative. And so don't you know sometimes you don't have to answer the question so I've always I guess some of the advice that she'll always give me is you know you don't always have to be telling everybody like detail for detail of what you got going on in terms of you know your identity some of that you just need to let them know like hey this is what I do and whatever you're comfortable yeah this is what I got going on and that's it you know it, it doesn't have to be you know I'm telling you a whole scroll of <laughs> you know what I've been through and all this stuff like that so definitely um doing that and just also also being open to hear what they have to say you know because there might be some things that they think of what we got going on or there might be some things that i think they might have going on so always express those so you can learn how to have those conversations that might be um uncomfortable or you know any conversation so you cannot have that place of uh, disagreement yeah and before we continue i wanted to add you know as you were talking that piece it made me think about Sometimes when we're having conversations with people that are not um, of the same race, sometimes we feel like we have to explain things that usually relate to something negative. We're talking mm -hmm. about racism, or we're talking about police brutality, or we're talking about making sure they understand that we're not disrespected when it comes to the food you provide at this event, you know? Yeah. It usually is a disrespectful kind of negative conversation. So for me, I try to make sure that when I'm having conversations with somebody who may be curious about my race or something that's different to them, that I make sure the conversation includes something positive. You know, right. like we are, as black people, we're not only living a life that's based on negativity. Like we live regular lives. We like to go shopping. We like fruit, you know, we like relationships. We, we do all types of things that are very right. But oftentimes the only things people are learning about us have to do with what they see in the news, which is negative, you know, so. Which is by design. Right, exactly. So that's, <laughs> I try to make sure that the conversation involves something that's not necessarily, you know, negative so that they can understand. It can be relatable, but at the same time, I don't know you owe you this huge explanation, you know, of right. every single thing that's ever happened in the life of a black person. Right. True. But the next question is, do you feel responsible for representing the identity of others with your race when you are engaging with other outside, others outside of your race? And we kind of touched on this already, but my, yeah. thing, my thing now is kind of like, you know, offering advice for people that are listening, you know, for when you're having a conversation or you're trying to tell, give advice to your young adult about maintaining their identity or representing themselves, the importance of not having to be the the main representative like what does that conversation actually sound like what types of things do you all say to each other what that type of conversation hmm I think for me it's been more of like sharing my personal experiences because I had I had something happen when I was working in corporate America that was similar to what you explained, what you expressed a little earlier on um, about us basically not being a monolith 
And, you know, I was new on a job, receiving training from, uh, you know, just an, another employee who had been there for a long time. And she was a white woman. And she made a comment after several days in with the training, you're not, you're so different than the others that I've trained. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, cause immediately I'm thinking that's where race is. <laughs> like, but I was trying to give her the benefit of doubt. I was giving her a little space. Like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> so, and she's like, I mean, you guys, you know, you're, you're different. Like the way that you, you know, you're picking up the information, the way that you're communicating, you're, you're different. <laughs> and I was just like, and I just had, I felt the responsibility of expressing to her we're not all the same <laughs> like I am who I am and they're who they are we're all you know we're all very different we're not the same and I kind of just shut it down and left it at that and kept my space <laughs> but you know whenever and there have been other opportunities at the office where situations like that have come up in different ways and I have felt the pressure of wanting to defend and stand up for my people, you know, especially if because of the fact that we do all communicate differently, it doesn't mean that I'm doing the job any better than they are. We just communicate differently and that's okay. You know, and I, I have had to express things like that with other departments and other managers and directors and it's, it can be really draining. And I felt like then I was definitely a lot younger I would approach it differently now. I probably would just straight up ignore it, not even respond to it, you know, whereas though then I felt like it was my responsibility to defend my coworkers who were black and who were women and who were my friends, who I did build friendships with. And I did feel the pressure of, I don't want them to look down on them because we all individually express ourselves differently, you know, because we're all doing the same job and we're all doing it well. You know, and I think for me, I always come home and share those type of experiences with my children, you know. And I think that you're able to, your sister and your brother are able to, on their levels, to go back and to use those examples for themselves when they go out into the world. And I always give them that responsibility because I do think that they need to make up their mind on their own how they're going to represent that in their lives and their, you know, different scenarios, situations, whatever interactions that they have with other people, I think that they have to figure that out. My examples are just that, they're examples. I don't want them to respond the same way that I respond. I want them to take little nuggets from that and then decide, is is this healthy for me? Is this how I want to respond, right? Yeah. I um, really appreciate that too. And that's one of my favorite things about my mom's parenting style, just like the other mistakes and learn from our mistakes or just you know try trial and error and giving us examples of like where to go next um or what what is possible what we can do and i think what has come up in in my life so far has been just thinking people always thinking of black people as a certain way and i think that's not I try to not take it personally because I know that's not necessarily people's fault because like we were talking about, um, they, there is a certain way that black people are portrayed over and over in media and whatever arena. And unfortunately, like some black people have fallen into the trap of thinking that that's how we are and not being 
brave enough or anything else, whatever you want to say to step out of that and truly be themselves however there is a whole crop of black people who there's most of us i would say are definitely ourselves um no matter what environment we are in and i think at the end of the day that is what strengthens me is like trusting and what who i am and um being able to represent that and not try to tell the tell all of our stories with just my story and um something there was something i wanted to say i kind of forgot right now but it might come back up um kind of i feel like the conversation that me and you have is um uh, i think always i don't know so for me this this is a sensitive topic you know because working in um volunteering and being considered a community activist you know oftentimes i find myself in conversations you know with other black people or you know other people who are activists and oftentimes you know the conversation about including you know african thought or african ways is usually not something that is sustainable in my opinion it's in the moment you know where somebody might want to say we're going to pour libation and that's going to be the african um you know part of this ceremony but my thing is what other things that we have that are fundamentally african that can be incorporated in the way that we're doing this thing that can be sustainable you know because everything that's written and when i when i look at workshops at work or anything like that i can see the underlying factor came from somebody's cultural influence you know what i mean and how they approach it how they're talking to each other you know are we breaking for food or are we having tea you know which is the thing that you know if you go to an indian um meeting professional meeting they're always going to have tea because that's their culture <laughs> you know what i mean but if you go to a, a, a another race for instance a mexican uh you know meaning they're not gonna have tea they might have the melon juice or something like that but that's right. what you know what i mean and the thing is is for me it's important to know what those ways are so that i can know how to show respect for different people and at the same time have my own ways to offer because mm-hmm. people oftentimes we're taking on so many other people's customs and like just making it about wearing african fabric when we're doing it you know <laughs> you know I'm grateful for people like Mama Marimba Ani you know and Alexa who offers information about traditional african things and just history that yeah you don't even know that they've been telling the story that's been whitewashed but it's really an african story you know right. I like to be able to say no that's this is an african way to greet people when you see them or show respect for your elders you know or offer food when someone comes to your home you know what i mean or not wear shoes in the house that's very normal see crafts people as opposed to all we do is ever just pour libations and you know talk about our ancestors that's what people some people think that that's it when it comes to incorporating something african so whenever i'm talking to my piece i try to make sure that I encourage him to just, you know, think about the principles of what we've talked about and try to incorporate that in your daily life. It's not something mm-hmm. you're going to have to make an announcement about. Hey, you got to African, you know, it's right. <laughs> I mean, and if you know me to be an African person, then you know this is just a part of my identity. So when you think of African people, you could say, yeah, I know, just like the Indian, um my Indian friends were drinking tea, when I come to my face's house, he's going to probably want to 
eat, you know, or are he gonna make <laughs> what we all eat, you know what I mean? Because that's just a, a thing that is traditionally African, or maybe mm-hmm. African his way. So, mm-hmm. did you remember that there? I did. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, not I think, but someone once told me um, to choose my battles. I, it's Baba Wakesa. <laughs> Baba Wakesa Matimoyo. But he told me, because it did, like, this, our situation with this question did come up. And um, he's like, you know, think about the situation. Do you want, what do you want to do? And do you think it's going to be worth it? And I think with this question, of representing ourselves in these uh, interracial relationships is what what is going to be the result? What are my intentions with um, this situation? And do I have to put my foot forward um, to do a specific thing, uh, whatever that thing is? And um, I think that relieves a lot of stress and a lot of like uh, mind numbingness in terms of, oh my God, what's going to happen if I do this? Because the choices are clear once you just are aware of how much energy you want to put into a situation like is this really worth it you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah that's a sign of maturity I think and experience so I'm glad that you are evolving and getting to a point of you know knowing when to choose your battles thank you remember you're welcome uh (laughs) what I wanted to say was kind of along uh, along the lines of what I said was basically oh like what you kind of so to me is um, knowing if you say this and this might be the reaction that you might get from it, especially talking to other races, and not feel like, like you said, you have to tell them everything, or even with people in, uh, of, you know, yeah, the same race, I feel like sometimes, you know, going to HBC, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I have a chip on my shoulder because I'm conscious or something like that, but there'll be sometimes I feel like I don't have to share this, they just, you know, I don't know, but I, I definitely... <laughs> I think definitely just being able to definitely like choose your battles and know when when is a good time to say something or when is a good time to bring a topic up because sometimes right. when you bring it up the timing could be wrong and it could throw a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah, kind of just understanding what's the reason I'm bringing this up and what's the purpose of it. Kind of like you were saying that here. That's very important. So my next question has to do with traveling. I know that both of all of us have traveled internationally. <laughs> I don't have to um, ask whether it's important or not. So I'd like to say, as far as maintaining our identity, how has international travel been important in, to you as far as maintaining your identity? Because oftentimes I've, I've learned that I'm a whole other person, you know, when, I'm, when I went to the continent or when I had a chance to travel to Asia, you know, or Europe. You're, it's a whole different world, you know, because these are people who haven't been around you. They don't know your culture. All they've seen is what they've seen on TV if they chose to watch it. But everybody in other countries is not sitting watching black people all day. That's, you know, they have their own lives too. They have things that they're interested in, although they are, they do watch us, you know, when they have the interest. But how has that been for you, you know, as far as international travel is concerned? You go first. Okay. Um, I've only been out of the country twice. Um, and then I'm also going to talk about. Some of our listeners haven't gone at all, so two times. Oh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and um, I'm also going to talk about like just traveling the United States too, because sometimes that could feel like international travel. Yeah. But um, I went to Guatemala for a class, and then I also have been to Cuba. Um, sorry, I also been to Cuba, 
And I think that in Guatemala, I experienced a lot of staring and like um, just people wondering about me. And I'm, I'm like also kind of looking at them, wondering about them. And I think, I think, I don't know if this happens to other races of people, but traveling kind of exposed me to different perspectives um, and different ways of life, like you were talking about in your preface, just how experiencing those different cultures and how people approach living on earth, that has expanded just my own uh, way of being um, in a ton of different ways that were unexpected. Um, like in Guatemala, a lot of, it's very normal to be spiritual throughout the day. And whether that means you practice Catholicism or a mixture of Catholicism and the Guatemalan or the Mayan culture's um, uh, spirituality or whatever you choose to practice, everybody is kind of spiritual on their, in their own way. And um, with the effects of globalism inside of that country, a lot of people are starting to move more towards like our way of life. Well, not, I don't want to say ours in this group, but just the United States way of life of kind of more consumerism and modernism and things like that. And um, I don't know if from our studies, it didn't seem like it was disrupting the spiritual um, aspects that much, but I could see how the younger generations might fall prey to that and how that has affected, because that's affected our communities in the United States um, with like black people not necessarily moving away from churches or just other um, spiritual ways of practicing things. And I think that um, when I've traveled internationally, seeing how everybody is being affected by U.S. imperialism or well, colonization and how different cultures are approaching healing and uh, just even how they talk to each other and uh, communicate on a daily basis. Those things have helped me to be like, this is something that I thought of that I would really like to redo at home and to um, bring back with me and to also maybe think of things that I don't necessarily like and things that uh, I had a sense of that I didn't like before, but now I feel more uh, assured that it's not something that I really want to do. Okay. Yeah, I think um, for me, I, I love travel. I love traveling throughout the United States. I love traveling, traveling internationally, and I haven't traveled internationally that much. I've traveled to Jamaica twice, and although Hawaii is in the U.S., it felt like going to another country. Um, <laughs> and it was it was the best trip but um, the first time that I went to Jamaica I stayed with one of my close one of my close friends at the time and she's from Jamaica but she's been in the United States for many years but she still has family in Jamaica and so we stayed locally with her with her father and so I got a chance to get the experience of what it's like living with the locals which I absolutely loved and that's kind of the experience that I want whenever I travel internationally is to be with someone who is who knows the culture who's from the country and to be able to really experience what it's like to live in that country and you couldn't tell me I wasn't Jamaican when I was there <laughs> I really loved it I was just all up in the culture and you know, thinking I could speak Patois, you know, it was, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I recently went back from my cousin's um, wedding last year and I had a blast. And we stayed, this time we did the whole resort and all that good stuff, which was a lot of fun. And, you know, I think being as though now I'm 41 and that the first time I went was at least 
20 years ago, you know, the experience now versus then was so different. Like I, I felt more like I was on the outside looking in, you know, like it, the experience was just so different. Like, and then having a conversation with our driver on the way to the airport, he was just expressing to me how he visited the U.S. and how he hated it. And he was just like, I could never live there. I could never live in the U.S. You know, and he was just like, I love being Jamaican. I love being in Jamaica. You couldn't convince me that there's no other better place to live than Jamaica, you know? And I mean, I guess, <laughs> but, but I'm, you know, I'm wide open to, to travel all over the world. I mean, I'm, I'm similar to what you said, Yasmin. I'm, um, I like to just immerse myself in the culture. Like I, I love Japanese culture. That's one of the experiences I want. <laughs> <laughs> gotta do it. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the experiences that I want. I would love to one day just I want to go to Japan. And of course I wanna go to the to the homeland. I wanna go to Africa and you know, um, experiencing right now, Dale is with one of his business partners, my husband, Dale, he's building a home in Senegal and just hearing them communicate with the locals there because they're doing everything with the locals. The locals are helping them, you know, they're hands on, they're building everything with the house. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating how they are communicating with the locals and learning the language and um, learning about the culture in the area that they're in um, over by the Pink Lake and just everything the possibilities are just wide open that we could end up moving there ourselves temporarily you know if it hits the fan here in the u.s we got a place to escape to you know it's just like um you know i want to go to ghana it's you know there's just so many places to explore and i would have to say given the current situation of covid19 that I am a little nervous now, like before March, or actually before, because I, you know, of course, if you're following the news, you heard about everything that was happening in China long before March, before they shut everything down here. You know, I was already starting to feel a little, a little anxious about traveling because, you know, then you're hearing so many different things. You're hearing, it's nothing to worry about from the conspiracy theorists. You're hearing, you know that you need we'll never be able to stop wearing masks when we go outside you know so it's just like uh what, what are we gonna do <laughs> you know and so i'm trying to deal with that anxiety and not allow those just those outside forces to prevent me from wanting to live my best life you know and to really want to explore and get to know because i really think that exploring different cultures helps you to learn a different part of yourself you know, because I'm, it, I always feel like a different person whenever I come back. And what Nadir said, even when we are traveling here in the U.S., like even not too far away, just down south in Indian Springs in the state park. You know, it's it's a whole. It can be a whole different world just right here in the United States. And I, you know, I enjoy getting out and about, backpacking, hiking, all of that. <laughs> I would definitely say uh, when I went to Malaysia, uh, I loved Malaysia. I think that was if I could, if I could ever go to a place again, I would love to travel back to Malaysia. And the reason why is is they call um, Malaysia the land of diversity, and there's many different cultures there. But also when I was there, like you were saying, that there, I was getting stared at a lot, and it made me have to be open that you know a lot of people haven't seen African Americans, especially with locks, and like um, one experience that I've always kept in my mind is I was working with kids in a um, after school program and they got to ask us any questions they wanted to and uh, one kid came like asked me he was like oh is your hair like fake is it artificial 
dope. And like his like mind was like exploded. <laughs> so I definitely like going going to Malaysia is gave me more of appreciation of myself and of more of our my culture that I, you know that I was raised in and also being Muslim just been definitely been just trying to uh, get more of a grasp of it. Definitely like I've been stopped by monks and just wanted to take pictures of you know, it was just definitely like Feeling like a celebrity. Yes, feeling like a celebrity just like, color of my skin. And I was like, it's just, it was just crazy to me, but it was also just eye opening of how, you know, some people just haven't seen black people in their lives before. So definitely just being more appreciative. Yeah. Uh, and before I ask the next question, um, I've had a chance to travel outside of the United States a lot. Maybe in my life, it's been about maybe 10 times. And um, within those times, it's always different. Like it's completely, I feel like it's a whole nother world, really. You know, it's not even earth anymore. It's just different, <laughs> the world is everything different, you know? And you get a chance to see how much of what we thought was the real world is not the real world. Like that dear, how you were talking, I, I remember traveling to Turkey once and learning that there's completely different understanding of puberty there, you know, that we have. They don't even look at it the same. And there's this whole party that they have for boys when they turn like 11 years old that everybody knows in the, in the whole city that he's reached puberty. You know, <laughs> wearing this outfit, he got these shiny clothes on and stuff like that. And that's when they're circumcised as well. Wow. So it's really strange. You know? <laughs> <laughs> really strange, right? You see, our reaction is all the same because it's based on our experience, you know, in the United States. But I just remember well, the first time I saw it, we were at a restaurant and I saw this little boy, you know, dressed up. And I saw that and I was like, wow, that's interesting. He has this little, because they have a little sword that they have on their clothes, you know. And I thought that was pretty weird for a little boy to be at a restaurant with a sword on his clothes, you know. But who do I know? I don't know what their family has going on. So then I seen him again, and it was happening, you know, maybe the fourth time, and I asked, you know, what is that, what is that about? And the lady couldn't speak English, but so she started doing this. <laughs> no. About, you know, and I tell this story because it led to this really great conversation about how, you know, what they do for their puberty, you know, party, basically, where boys are very much celebrated for their puberty, you know, they reach puberty at whatever age they do, but that's also the age that they circumcise them. And everyone showers them with these gifts, you know, and they wear these like outfits and they have this huge party. And I told her about our experience in the United States where it's just painful for babies and that's it, you know. <laughs> you know, sometimes women have period parties for girls, but for yeah. young men, there's usually nothing that happens when a young man reaches puberty, you know what I mean? So, it led to a really good conversation about what I wanted to do for Nafis because he hadn't reached puberty yet, you know, to give me an idea that he should be celebrated too, you know what I mean? It's a change in his life and I learned that outside of the United States. So that's my appreciation. Every time I've traveled, I've learned something new, you know, and I've also been very grateful for what I had to offer too because the worst thing is coming into a situation where everybody has all these cultural stories and stuff and I'm sitting there with just the story about the electric slide or something. <laughs> like, you know, what do you have to offer? So it made me more encouraged to learn my history, you know, to be able to have something to offer when I'm interacting with people in general, but definitely people outside of the United States. Yeah. So we, um, I want to ask this last question, um, and I want to specifically ask for advice for people who need advice on how to talk to their young people about encouraging them to travel internationally and what that looks like. As far as 
maintaining your identity and also being able to receive, you know, from people who are outside of your race when you are traveling internationally. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I want to just say to be open for sure, to be open to the idea and to start doing online research about whatever country, just pick a country, pick any country and do some research to see if what they, what that country has to offer may be something that you'd be interested in checking out. Because for me, it's not just about seeing the people. I want to see architecture. I want to see the art. I want to learn about, um, you know, their music, their food, um, you know. And so if you start with looking either in books or online and doing a little bit of research to see what may interest you about one particular country and then find out even what their race relations are like have do a lot of black people visit there do a lot do black people live there um because it is a reality that we do have to consider what are the race relations in any country that we're going to visit and you know just so that we are aware of it we you know might even want to know once you start planning how far is the police station from your hotel room you know because you have to be careful you got to have a, a contingency plan for any scenario and you know um a friend of mine her daughter is studying um korean and so she traveled to korea and she was sharing her experience there and how she did experience racism and how it could be really blatant like she it could be really in your face where people are just like no i don't i don't date like i'm fascinated with they'll literally tell you i want to take a picture with you i'm fascinated with you but i would never date you they literally told her that, you know, and she loves their culture, but she also had great experiences where she made friendships and their long lasting friendships and she wants to go back, you know, and so you do have to be aware that there are going to be some bumps in the road, but that's okay. You'll make it through it, build some relationships, learn about the culture, you know, and stay open for sure. Know where the embassy is. <laughs> Something go down. You got to know. <laughs> yeah. I um did all that like that felt really good to me. Um, and another thing that I've been thinking about is um languages and just being able to communicate. Um, and that's like one of the things that's kind of scared me about traveling is just I don't know how to speak you know any other language really. And um, I think a lot more people in the world are bilingual or just know another language, especially English, more than U.S. people do. And um, I think that's cool because then you can probably find somebody that speaks English. But that's something that I'm still working through, too, just trusting that I'll still have a good time, even if I don't um, uh, speak the language of the country I'm about to go to. And um, that someone that I know, one of my close friends, they really inspire me because they are really fearless and they just go out and travel and do stuff that they like really want to do in the world without um, having that block or that scare that we won't be able to connect just because we're different in some way. And I think uh, that's one of the biggest advices. And it speaks back to what she said about being open, because um, I think that's a form of being open, just making sure that you have a clear mind in what your intentions are. Because um, when you when you travel to another country, you ju- you're not just like coming over there to look through a, a zoo um, exhibit. Okay. You're, you're going there to <laughs> you're going there to experience another part of the world and somebody else's and other people's lives and really to get a different perspective on what life can be on on earth 
And um, I think if we're really truly open to that experience, then it'll bring beautiful things no matter where we go. Absolutely. Um, I would definitely say like Mama Gerald said, like do your research, but also like when you go there, um, I feel like when you do your research and then you go there, sometimes like those two might not like match sometimes. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, I might do some research in place and I might go there and I'm like, this is not what I expected at all. <laughs> you know, so definitely always have an open mind and not, you know, always take the information, but don't, sometimes don't take it to heart. Sometimes you might get uh, a misunderstanding and it might, you know, ruin your trip or it might just put it like a, I don't know, it might just hurt your feelings. But <laughs> uh, also just try and also, you know, whatever chance you've got to travel, definitely take it because you never know of the opportunities that it might bring. And also you get to, you know, stamp your passport. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, for our listeners, I always encourage travel in any way, you know, whether it's domestic or international, as far as helping to build communication within your family. Because one thing that I've learned on me and Nafisa's um, trips that we've traveled wherever we were going, and it could have been Boston or, you know, it could have been Cuba. I learned that we communicated differently, you know, because we were all that we knew when we went there. You know, I was the familiar person that he knew and the same for me, but we were both trying something new. So, you know, we were trusting each other in a different type of way. You know, it wasn't, you know, the same trust that we have in the United States where everybody's the same. It's like, wait a minute, the only person I know here is you. So we have to talk about what's going on and what we want to do and what we want to learn. And it helped mm-hmm. learn, you know, what his interests were. Because some of the stuff I was interested in when we went to Canada was totally different than his. You know, I'm really interested. Let's try to do waffles with ice cream on them. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I really want to try that first, you know. They kind of let me know, you know, what type of stuff that he's interested in, which led me to be able to have different types of conversations. You know, so even outside of our identity, you know, when we travel, it let us be able to just be closer in our communication. So anybody who's listening we definitely encourage travel in any way don't just stay in your city wherever you live travel out of the city you know learn what type of neighboring states you have and what they have to offer you know and there's a lot of stuff that can be done for free too because i know some people that are listening are probably thinking you're talking about traveling because you got money but we don't (laughs) planning planning (laughs) we travel we we find you know real cheap tickets you know Mm -hmm. or something like that and we make a plan on what we're going to do for free. We do a lot of walking, you know, and we... Yep, walking. <laughs> a lot of local places where we can get a good, nice, big plate of food, you know. Yeah. And then we also know what's the fancy stuff so that we could compare it, you know what I mean? And, and like Nafi said, it's funny, you know, when you might research a place, some of the stuff that's listed online is based on someone else's experience, you know, so... Sometimes I'll research and I'll have three different, you know, research projects. Well, I'll say this yeah. is a mom who went, this is a father who went, this is a young person who went, and I'll compare the stories to see, like, what do I want to take from each of those, you know, experiences. But we definitely want to encourage travel and we definitely want to encourage healthy conversations about identity. We want to thank you both for being here with us today. This has been a really good conversation. Mm-hmm. I appreciate, you know, the example that you all are showing in establishing a home in, on the continent, in Senegal, you know. I've heard beautiful things about Senegal. They have the best jollof, if anybody's listening for the jollof, you know, wars. I think they got the best jollof rice, you know, so 
I would love to visit Senegal one day. So I wish you all good luck, you know, with that particular family. Thank you. Welcome. This has been another episode of Between Us and Y'all. We want to thank our listeners for listening. We hope that um, what the Preston family has offered to us has been beneficial. It's been beneficial to us, but we hope it's been beneficial to our listeners. And as always, we like to part by encouraging our listeners to work hard, pray hard, love hard, and definitely spend time playing hard. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Peace. Love (laughs) y'all.